and know that you have never moved. We thank you for your faithfulness. And we ask that you please speak to us now. Help us be ready for whatever those things are. See you pray. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you again as we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew. One of the things that's been challenging about Matthew, because I committed to go through a chapter a week, some of these chapters are long. We're in chapter 13 this week, and there are 58 verses. It's, a, it's seven different parables. And I'm like, okay. How can I possibly, how many points am I going to have in my message? But I'm convinced that it was the Holy Spirit who put the Bible together, who inspired Matthew to write this. And so there's a reason why he put this stuff together. And therefore, every week I'm committed to look at it and say, what was the point? If I can't find the point of the passage, then I need to look harder. Because there's one thing that God wants us to get from this section. And so that's what we're going to try to look at today in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, you can turn over there. Matthew 13, you have, well, there are seven parables, as I said. A parable is a story that Jesus would use to make one particular point. Um, The word parable Para means paired with, alongside, and balo means to throw down. So it's the idea of he's tossing out something that is going to work to make a particular point. Now, a lot of times when people preach on parables, like the parable of the sower and the seed, you can think of a whole bunch of points, but you're misinterpreting a parable if you come up with more than one point. Because every parable is there to teach one point. That's one of the basic principles of biblical interpretation. So we want to keep that in mind as we look at the parable of the sower and the seed. And then he, you know, after that parable, then it's the parable of the wheat and tares. And those are both fairly extensive with interpretations. And then he cranks out these short little parables, five of them, you know, One of them about a mustard seed, one of them about some leaven, one of them about a field with a treasure in it, one of them about a pearl that's expensive, and one of them about a dragnet. Each of those is one or two verses. And then at the end of the chapter, we will see Jesus and his reception in his hometown. So it's a lot, but I promise you, as if we make our way through the chapter, we're going to look back and go, okay. This makes sense. God wasn't losing his mind. He was making a point. And so hopefully the Lord will help us to discover that point. So let's begin with the parable of the sower and the seed. Uh, People were gathering around. Jesus was in a boat. And it says in verse 3, Behold, a sower, that is a farmer, went out to sow or to plant. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside alongside of the road. And the birds just came and devoured them. Some of it fell on stony ground in the, in the gravel where they didn't have much earth. And so they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others, verse 8, 
fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he tells this story. Okay, a guy starts planting seeds. Some of the seeds tossed on the side of the road. Birds come and just eat it. It can't even sink into the ground. Some of it goes into some rocky ground, some gravel. Sprouts up really quick, but then gets blown away. Some of it lands among thorns. Starts growing, but then the thorns choke it out. It's gone. Some of it lands on good fertile soil, and it ended up producing 30 times, 60 times, 100 times in its productivity in that good ground. And so he says, if you're listening, you'll hear this. Now, then he goes into a discussion of parables, and they're like, why are you, why are you speaking so mysteriously? And he essentially, you can read this chapter for yourself, he essentially tells them, yeah, I'm doing that on purpose, because there are some people who aren't going to get what I'm saying anyway, so I'm just going to give them a story. And they're not going to want to argue with me about it or anything else. They'll hear the story, but if you're somebody that really gets it, you will hear more in the story than just the story, and you'll understand the point that I'm trying to make. So that's why I'm teaching in parables. Then he ends up interpreting the parable, and you can read it in there. He goes, this is like the word that's being planted. Some of it falls on hard ground where birds eat it. He goes, that's when somebody hears the word of God, But then the devil just comes right away and takes it before they even have a chance to really think about it. It just doesn't sink in at all. Now, by the way, for every one of us, when we hear the word of God, sometimes in one church service, you can experience all four of these. But then he says, when it falls in the rocks, it grows up. But then when life gets tough, it gets blown away. That which goes in the weeds, you know, you're doing pretty good. But then all your materialism chokes it out. All of a sudden you realize, oh, this is going to cost me something. And so then it doesn't last. But when it's sown on the good ground, he said, good things happen. Things grow forth from it. It produces fruit 30 times, 60 times, and 100 times. And he goes, if you have ears, listen to what I'm saying. So... I mean, right away, it's one of the great parables for sure. And there I've heard people preach all sorts of lessons from this parable. And, you know, I could make stuff up. Like, you could go, so what he's saying is only 25% of the people who hear the gospel are actually going to respond. Or you could go, what he's saying is you need to really prepare your heart and till the soil so that you will be the good ground that it falls on. Or, you know, there are all sorts of other lessons that you could learn from it, but I want to learn what Jesus intended. And so let's just withhold judgment on what it means until we get through the rest of the chapter, and then we'll work our way back through and see what is his singular point that he's really trying to make, okay? So the second parable. He, he ends up, as he, as he tells this story, he, in verse, beginning with verse 24, Kingdom of heavens like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So far, so good. But while people were asleep, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went their way. They went and threw weed seeds in the field. And so when the grain had begun to sprout, there was a crop, but there were all these weeds growing up with the wheat. And so the servant said, you want us to go pull the weeds? And 
he, he said to them, you know, an enemy has done this, but don't go pull the weeds, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them, verse 29. So in verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather everything together, separate the tares, go burn those up, take the wheat and keep it. So he's basically saying, and he goes on to explain it down in verse 36 and following, that that's the way it is, that among the people who are listening to the word of God, among the people who are claiming to be believers, there are some who really get it, there are some who totally don't. Some of them are even intentionally trying to participate in order to take advantage of people who are there. Maybe they go to church so that they can try to sell products to the people at the church or whatever. So he goes, but the tricky thing is, until the harvest, you're not sure which is which. See, I can't look at church and go, some of you are wheat and some of you are weeds. I mean, I could say that because that's accurate, most likely. Maybe not second service. Third service, easy. But now, but it probably is true. There are people in here right now who are listening that have no intention or they never will ever follow God in a meaningful way. There's just enough people here that that's the case. But what Jesus is saying is, trouble is you don't know which is which. You start going around hassling people who you don't know if they're really going to walk with God or not. It's like this is one of the perils of working with kids as they begin to grow. You think, you can look at them and go, I know that kid's going to be a great one. I know that kid's going to be a loser. Well, I worked with kids long enough. Some of the kids that I thought would never make it ended up becoming awesome people. And some of the people that I thought were like, oh, they were going to change the world, they ended up being bums. You can't predict, and that's what Jesus is saying is, don't get ahead of yourself. It's true. Some of them are going to make it. I've told the story. There was one time I was here in church, and I looked around the, the sanctuary, and I counted three adults who were walking with the Lord, raising their family, three adults who at one time I had kicked each of them out of school. And it's like, you don't know. So you take care of everybody, and you hope who gets it gets it, and you understand that those who don't, don't. But that's what he's he's cautioning them against is prematurely jumping to conclusions about what's wheat and what's a tear. Now, in the middle of all that, he cranks out these other little parables. The first one is about the mustard seed. And he basically says, um, verse 31, kingdom of heavens like a mustard seed, little tiny seed. And a man took it and sowed it in his field. It's the least of all the seeds. But when it's grown... It's greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. It's like, you know, you don't know what a little tiny seed can produce. Then he goes on and he talks about a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven. And a tiny bit of leaven can make a whole lot of bread grow. Then he talks about a guy that finds a field that has a treasure in it. And he doesn't want the field. Maybe it's a 40 acres out by Yucca Valley. But he finds out there's something valuable buried there that if he buys the field, he's going to get the treasure. <clears throat> so he says, of course, 
you would sell everything that you have to buy that field, not because you want the field, because you want the treasure. And then he goes on in the next little parable, and he talks about a valuable pearl. And a guy who buys and sells jewelry finds this one pearl that's so rare that they say, you know what, I will sell everything in order to get that one pearl because that one pearl is more valuable than everything else that I have. And then his final parable is the parable of the dragnet where he goes, you toss this net off your boat and you pull it across the water as you're rowing your way through and that net pulls up all kinds of stuff. And you drag it to the shore, and you go, that's an old boot. Throw it away. Hey, there's a great fish. Save this. Oh, here's something that's actually valuable. Here's some coins. I'll keep that. Oh, here's just a bunch of seaweed. I'll toss that out. But he goes, what you do is you pull up all kinds of stuff, and then you sort it. And so not everything that comes up in your dragnet is going to be valuable, but it's worth pulling all that stuff because something will be valuable. So those are the, basically the seven parables. Now, I think partly you can see similarities, but partly what, what really helps us to understand this is when we see what happens after he tells these parables. And so look with me in chapter 13 down to verse 53. Now, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there, and when he had come to his own country, he came to Nazareth, where he had grown up. You know, he was born in Bethlehem, down close to Jerusalem, fled to Egypt for a while, came back and went to Nazareth and and lived there for his whole upbringing. That's where he, you know, his stepfather Joseph was a carpenter. Jesus worked construction with him until he was You know, he probably, Joseph probably died. Jesus took over the business until he was 30. So he goes back there. Now, he's been getting a lot of attention, healing a lot of people, teaching a lot of great stuff. And so it's like, here's your chance to go back home. So he went there, and he taught them in their synagogue. They were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? I mean, that's kind of the reaction that you'd hope for. Like, man... When they hear me, they're going to be like, whoa, I don't remember you talking like this when you were in sixth grade. I don't, you know, you were always kind of a smack. You were always kind of a good kid, but still, where did this come from? But are they impressed? Hardly. They said, is this not the carpenter's son? Verse 55. Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas names his half-brothers and his sisters. Are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? They're like, we remember you. (laughs) In fact, I remember when you were born, you like showed up. And we're like, where did this kid come from? And there were a lot of rumors that Joseph wasn't really your dad. And people were questioning Your mom, Mary, like what kind of a woman was she? You're kind of shady. You know, yeah, you were the head of the class and all that, but we never expected you to amount to anything. And then you kind of just disappeared, moved away. We didn't know where you were. And now here you are. You're coming back here and you're teaching and it's kind of amazing. But who do you think you are? 
in verse 57. So they were offended at him. It's like, how dare you come back here and preach to us? We know you. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Jesus stated this principle that said, it's amazing that somebody can go and do great things somewhere else and people are impressed. (laughs) But you come back to your own people and they're not so easily impressed. They look down on you because they knew you. That's, my mom changed your diapers. You know, I remember we, were, we played ball together. We, you know, we hung out. Hey, you weren't doing any miracles when you were a kid. You were kind of nothing. You, and, and probably, people would think, oh, Jesus was at the head of the class. Probably not, because he was thinking on a whole different level. And so they probably just thought he was a weird kid, which he probably was. I mean, he comes from heaven, comes to earth. Sorry if it takes a little adjusting. But... He goes, this is the way it works. You can be a prophet anywhere except where you grew up. And you guys, some of you have experienced this. You you can accomplish a lot of things, but if there's a place where you used to be when you were just a worker, they're still going to always remember you that way. And they aren't going to honor you like somebody who sees who you are today and what you do now. It's one of the reasons why... It's usually a disaster for someone, for instance, to grow up in a business and then end up becoming the leader of the business. Peter Drucker talked about this and and said that, that, you know, if you put one of your relatives in charge, even if they're the best and most qualified person for the job, people will always think they got the job because they're a relative, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. So that's what Jesus is experiencing here. It's like, yeah, uh, they think you're something, but we remember who you are. We know you. I wonder about your mom, your so-called dad. You're, You're just a worker like me. And then you couldn't cut it and you left. And so he goes, this is the way it happens. It's funny, and I've probably told the story before, but... I joke about growing up in Stanton, California. Stanton is a city where really there isn't anything meaningful there. They call it the crossroad of vacation land because it's close to the beach, close to Knott's Berry Farm, close to Disneyland in a triangle. But growing up in that city, it was, um, I, didn't, I didn't help it at all. But, you know, I sometimes would joke about it. Well, a guy who works for the city of Stanton has heard me joke about Stanton on the radio. And so he one time, he told me, he's like the head inspector or something in Stanton. So he goes, Dave, come on down and I'll let you see the old city, you know, the old town. You can see what it is. And I'm like, yeah, great. I I can count the massage parlors and stuff. That's cool. But I went and I spent half a day or so with him. He was a great guy, really nice. He gave me a huge Stanton decal, which I stuck on my refrigerator in my office just to remember where I came from. But... um, (laughs) He goes, hey, you want to go check out your old house? And I go, yeah. And he had done his homework, I guess, because 
we go and there's my old house. I had so many memories at that house, at that place. So much trouble I caused, friends that I had in the neighborhood, you know, police coming after me and me hiding there. And, and, and so it's like, this is cool. He goes, let me go talk to the people that are in there. And would you like to go in the house and walk around, see your old bedroom? And see? I'm like, yeah, I kind of would. That would be kind of cool. So he goes in there and he's in there for quite a while talking at the door to the person. And he comes back and he goes, yeah, they won't let you. I explained you're on the radio, you're a pastor, they won't let you in. And I go, well, I'll just take a picture of the house. I get my phone out, and she comes out yelling, no, 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 no. She won't even let me take a picture of my old house. And I thought of this scripture. It's like, yep, that's the way it goes. Thanks, Stanton. But (laughs) it wouldn't be the best place for me to spend a ton of my time, frankly. You know, I'm not going to start a church in Stanton. As much as I love that town and I have so many great memories there, I just understand that's not going to be where I'm received. So with Jesus understanding this, and then it said in verse 58, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He couldn't really work because they were so familiar with who he was that they weren't about to listen to what he had to say. Um, And, you know, today... If you meet somebody who was a gangster in your old neighborhood and now they're a Christian, you might listen to them. But the kid that was the good student, no. You're not going to listen to them. I never liked that person. And again, like the parables say, you can't really predict. So when you look at this whole thing and put it together, our task is, what is the point of these parables? The parable of the sower, the parable of the the weeds with with the wheat, the parable of the mustard seed, the leaven, the parable of the field with the treasure, the parable of the pearl of great price, the parable of the dragnet. Like, what's it, how does it all tie in with the story? Think about this. What if the point of all of this is you can't win them all, but you don't have to? Think about that a little bit. Jesus is turning the world upside down in ways with people who listened to him, most of them not in Nazareth. It's okay. There were enough people who were listening to what he had to say that he changed the world without impressing Nazareth. At the same time, in, in, in the same way that as you plant seeds in different kind of ground. Okay, some of the seed goes by the side of the road. That's a loss. Some of the seed goes in the rocks. That's a loss. Some of the seed goes where the weeds are. That's a loss. The seed that goes in the good ground, it produces 30 times, 60 times, and 100 times. That's where the win is, ultimately, but you can't always know which is which, so you have to wait until harvest to see where it comes from. And see, ultimately, a hundredfold crop From 25% of the field where you sowed the seed, it's well worth it. Now, you buy a big piece of land that's basically worthless except for treasure on the land, it's a good deal. You sell everything that you have to get a pearl that's worth more than, way more than everything that you have, it's a good deal. So Jesus is telling all of these stories to 
prepare himself and his disciples for the fact that, look, you better get used to it. You can't win them all. You won't always have everything you do turn out great. In fact, most of what you do with your life is going to be a waste of time. It's going to be on the side of the road, on the rocks, in the weeds. It's not going to be on good ground. But you live your life because that small pearl, that little treasure, that stuff that you can pull out of the nets, all all of that is worth all of the other effort. So now I look at my life and I just go, I don't expect everything to work. I don't expect everyone to respond well to me. In fact, I, res- I expect most people, when I try to minister to people, and I really, I do the best I can, you know, but it's like, sometimes it doesn't work. In fact, probably more people don't get what you say than what you say. I, it, when I was younger, this used to shock me. Like, when our church, when we stopped giving away donuts, and like people left the church, <laughs> I was like, geez, I can't believe it. And I, and I don't want to explain to people that, my mom, who was blind, was out there helping with the donut ministry. And she's feeling her way around and, like, touching every donut. And I'm just like, this is it'd be easier not to have donuts. And we're having a hard time getting volunteers to do it. But people leave a church over no donuts. There was, I remember somebody else, I got, I got a long letter explaining that a woman left the church because when I wear long sleeve shirts, a lot of times I don't button the cuffs because sometimes I need to push them up, you know, it gets hot. She left the church. I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. When we decided to start doing home fellowships and to stop doing a regular Wednesday night study, people left the church. Most of the people who left the church didn't even go on Wednesday nights. They just like the idea of there being a Wednesday night in case they ever want to go on a Wednesday night. And I'm like, as a pastor, you start going, I don't know, man, I try. But I've come to understand that For one thing, the more people get to know you, the more familiar you are, and the less easily are they impressed. But more than that, my objective is not to reach everybody. Far from it. I can totally live with the fact that most of what I do with my life will be a waste. It'll amount to nothing. And I'm totally okay with that. If Jesus couldn't reach all kinds of people, and if he would say, no, really, the ones you reach are worth it, then I have to, and you have to learn, to look at our lives and go, we are doing this because the little bit that we accomplish will be worth everything else that we don't accomplish and that we don't work. But when we start having a perfectionist attitude that everything I do should change the world... Then I get crushed. Pretty soon I just get tired of doing what I'm doing. It's like, forget it. I was nice to that person and they were rude to me. I trusted that person and they stabbed me in the back. I was friends with those people and now I'm not. Forget it. I'm done. See, instead of looking at it and going, I mean, like last Sunday there were several people who, who accepted the Lord and because of my message and they told me that. And I go, Man, that's awesome. But... In the back of my head, I got, you know, one person who was complaining to me about the air conditioning, and I'm like, oh, why do I, it's time for me to retire. It's like, 
huh, did you hear what? The, there's somebody whose life was changed. And maybe, okay, some of the people that accepted the Lord, they end up sprouting up and getting blown away. I don't care. If I ever, <laughs> no, really, I mean, it could happen, right? I have low expectations, but I believe and I trust that if I'm doing what God has called me to do, in the end, you can't win them all. You can't even win most of them. I mean, the best hitter in baseball will make an out two-thirds of the time. It's just the way it works. But they know I'm up there batting for that time when I get the hit, when I make it happen, when we score the runs. That's life. And that's what Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples here. He's preparing them for, he goes, I tell stories in parables because most people aren't going to get it anyway and I don't want to argue with them about theology. So I just tell stories about plants and stuff. People who get it will get it. People who won't, won't. How can we learn to live our lives that way? That we just go, you know what? I'm going to do what I can and I'm going to trust the Lord that whatever it is that he wants to do, he's going to do it and it won't look like what I wish it would look like. But in the end, there's a pearl that's worth everything that I've ever done. In the end, there's a treasure buried in that field. And I'm not working for the field. I'm working for the treasure. When I was young, and one of my seminary professors, Dr. Feinberg, who was just really an important man in my life, he had actually dedicated me when I was a baby, and he was probably the top Hebrew scholar ever. But I was talking to him about youth, working with youth, and I go, man, it's frustrating sometimes. He took me to Isaiah 6, where when God called Isaiah, he told Isaiah, you are going to minister, and a huge tree is going to grow up. And then there's not going to be anything left of it but a stump. And God said, that stump is your ministry. And Dr. Feinberg said, David, you're not working for the tree. You're working for the stump. And that changes everything. When I understand I can make a difference, but I don't have to predict, and I don't have to judge, and I don't have to decide. I do what I think God is leading me to do. And of course, you learn, I'm better at this than I am at that. So I'm not going to keep throwing seeds on rocky soil all the time. I'm going to try to find that good soil that I can plant in. So I figure out what works and what doesn't, just like Jesus figured out, okay, Nazareth is not going to be my place for a major crusade. So I'm moving on down the road. But can I do that with my life? Can you do that with your life? Are you okay understanding that you can't win them all, but you can make a difference for all of eternity? I I read a book. I was reading a book this week, and a guy was talking about when he went to a seminar, um, and somebody said, okay, I want to ask you a personal question. If you died at the end of this week, what would you be most disappointed that you haven't finished yet. And he said, for him, it was this book that you're reading right now. I knew I'd worked on it. I let it go. But he said, until you can look at your life and say, here's what really is important. And this is what I want to finish. It's not going to be a ton of stuff, but it's going to be what matters. See, our lives, today, our lives are more distracted than they've ever been. And we are distracted from the things that matter most. We get pulled off of planting seeds into doing other things. Technology steals our time. 
You know, it's like the constant notifications that pop up. It's like something is important. I, usually when I go to sleep, I put my phone on, on uh, you know, don't disturb because I don't like when notifications light it up. Last night, I was tired. I just stuck it on there. And all night, it's lighting up, lighting up. Light. That's the way our lives are. Constant reminders of things that don't matter. And we spend our energy trying to chase them. And then we feel bad when it doesn't work out the way it should. And we feel like, I haven't really been who I truly am. I could look at my week and on the one hand, I go, man, where did the week even go? But I can say, you know, I know one night I was really tired. And um, my little nine-month-old granddaughter, Amelia, it was her parents' anniversary, so I went over to babysit her, and they went out to eat. And I'm playing with Amelia, and it's great at first. You know, and then she turns into a nine-month-old, and (laughs) like, okay, Papa, you're nothing new anymore. And then I finally get her to sleep, and it's like, man, this is the best. I put her down, turn on the Dodger game, like five minutes later, and then my son has notifications on his phone letting him know that she's crying. He's telling me, I go, yeah, I know, I know. And so <laughs> I get her in. I wrestle with her for a long time. I, the one thing, her, she's going to get dedicated in a few weeks, but um, she's named Amelia after Amelia Earhart, and she loves to fly. So I can, she could can be crying uncontrollably, and I fly her, and she's, yeah, and then I put her down. I'm like, Papa's arms are getting tired. Finally, she goes back to sleep before they got back, and she's laying there in my arms, holding on to me. She'd been staring up at me as I'm singing Jesus Loves Me to her. And I'm like, this is the best night that I've had this week by far. Better than, you know, last night, spending time watching the Dodgers and the Angels both lose a game. What a waste. You know, that's just chaff. But in that week, and then a week ago, Saturday, we had, you know, my granddaughter Sadie, who's nine, had come to the Good Friday service. And afterwards, she goes, Papa, uh, where do you buy those communion cups? And I go, I'm like, what, do you want to play with them? or what? I'm like, okay, I, you know, there's some perks to being my granddaughter. So I ended up, on Saturday, we got together to celebrate Easter together, and I gave her a bag of communion cups. And then she, she comes back a little later, and we're all sitting around the dining room table, and she wanted to serve us communion. And she had a little piece of paper that she had written her notes about what, you know, that some people think Easter is about eggs, but it's not. It's about Jesus. So let's remember his body with the bread and his wine with the cup. And she served it to us. I'm like, best communion service ever. Best (laughs) night ever. For this week, if all I had were those two memories, those were the most important things that happened this week. And for you, it's the same way. It's going to be those moments that make life worthwhile. It's going to be those instant opportunities that matter. Most of the other stuff, it's side of the road, it's rocky soil, it's in the weeds. No problem. You can't win them all, but you don't have to. As long as you keep moving, as long as you keep plugging away, you'll make a difference in the things that matter. Don't get discouraged by the things that don't matter. Don't get discouraged by the people that don't respond to you. Thank God for the opportunities that you have to make a difference. 
to really do something that matters because those opportunities are there. And one of the best ways to find those opportunities is to eliminate the time-wasting things that distract you from them. Get off, you know, your, you know, playing around on the internet. Get off your, you know, harping on political issues. Get off your, how about what happens if you eliminate all that stuff that's all just chaff anyway? And then you're like, what's left? That's a good question. And that's a question that you have to ask the Lord. Because he is able to lead you to learn. You can make a difference in significant ways if you don't mess it up by getting discouraged by it not working the way you want it to or by just giving up on planting seeds because you're just worn out from all the other junk you're doing. We need to remove the distractions from our lives so that we can find the focus that reminds us of what makes life so precious. You know this. If you've, you know, think about somebody that you've lost, that you love. What are the moments that you think of that you remember the most? Did you appreciate those moments at the time? Are you creating those kind of moments in your life now? It's such a gift, even when we lose someone, because it reminds us of what matters and, and what doesn't. It reminds us of how we spent our time well and how we wasted it. And don't feel bad that you wasted most of your life. Most of us will. It's the way it goes. It's okay. It's, if Jesus, as the sower, could only nail a fourth of the, of the land, and that's not the lesson of the parable, but think about it. Everything he's saying in here, you've got to take a lot of garbage in order to find the kernel of value. That's us as well. So what do we do? How do we live? How do we find that central significance that makes life worthwhile? Can't win them all. You don't have to. Find the pearl of great price. Find the good soil. Find what is working and celebrate that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these reminders from your word, these great stories that if you just hear them, they just sound like stories until you realize these are stories about us. These are stories about the most important things in our lives. Help us to learn from you. Help us to be able to handle rejection as well as you did in Nazareth. And help us to understand it's people reject us. It's not us they're rejecting. It's their own perspective that's warped and blinded. But help us to just continually, faithfully keep moving, keep planting seeds, and remembering that if we can even make one person's life better, then our life was worthwhile. Help us to celebrate those opportunities that you bring along and to just blow right past the times when things don't go the way we wish they would. If you couldn't win them all, we can't either. But help us to celebrate the little wins that happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. You know, if you're here and you've never really given your life to the Lord... Um, then a lot of what I'm saying doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you because it's kind of like you don't have the seed to plant. You know, you're trying to do what you can, but you really don't have the example of Jesus to say, that's what I want my life to be like. 
And that's cool. You can do the best you can, but I would encourage you to come to him, allow him to forgive you and make you clean, let you start over, and then you know that which he has given you has the perfect potential to bring incredible blessing to your world because now you have that seed of truth. Receive that from him, and now your life can start to really matter. So if you've never really done that, I pray that, you know, there'll be people down here in the front that would love to pray with you. Come on down and start life over. Be forgiven. Find out what it feels like to be totally clean and, and, and perfect and forgiven. And then to be able to report to him for, okay, God, where do you want me to invest in others? Where do you want me to plant seed? Where do I need to be encouraged? What do I need to let go of that get over failures from the past? He can help you do that. So come on down if you'd like to get right with God. And I know you'll be really glad that you made that choice today. I also, people were telling me there's a a new family room that they put together up on the deck. And so for people who want to sit with little kids or babies or whatever, they really made the room up nice for that. So check it out if that's something that you might want to to try out or you know somebody that you might want to be able to invite them to church because that would work well for them. I don't know what the rules are, who can sit in there and who can't. No creepy men, but other than that, (laughs) you'll figure it out or they'll throw you out. So, But may God give you a week when you realize most of what you try won't work, but what you try that works will make all the other stuff worth The Lord bless thee. And keep thee, the Lord make his face to shine upon thee, and be gracious unto thee, and be gracious unto thee, the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee. And give thee peace. God bless you.